It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. And it's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we are going to talk about the game between the Jets and the Raiders. The Raiders win this one 31-28 in incredible fashion at the very end of the game. Of course, Andy Vasquez from NorthJersey.com is here with me to talk about this. Andy, you were there in person. Could you even imagine what it would have been like if there was a crowd allowed at MetLife Stadium for this? I cannot. I mean, I mean, I guess I can because we've been watching football games our whole life <laughs> with crowds, and it's amazing how quickly we adjust to the new normal. But it was insane, and it was another thrilling, entertaining game. And for all the wrong reasons for the Jets players, and all the right reasons for Jets fans who want to see them get the number one overall pick, because they took a big step in that direction. I think obviously in the standings and, and emotionally with you saw, uh, you know, the way they lost that game and, and the way players reacted after you have to wonder if that was the breaking point And if we're going to start to see them kind of let go of the wheel here in the last four games with four very tough games coming up. So it was wild. And yes, I think you would have seen insanity at the end of that game with the Raiders fans who would have been there just going nuts. Jets fans. I don't know what that reaction would have been from Jets fans. I think some would have been upset. I think, you know, it's natural. You would have kind of been rooting for your team there in, in, in some situations too. And, and then you had the whole dynamic of the Jacksonville game going on. And as all of that was happening, Jacksonville had kind of come back and I think tied the game. So there would have been some Jets fans there who would have thought you could have gotten the best of both worlds, got a win and kept your draft draft position. So it would have been, really an amazing situation and atmosphere. And, and as it was, it was still crazy being there and uh, being able to watch and see what was happening and, and the reactions that you didn't see on TV and all sorts of stuff. It was, it was a very interesting day at MetLife stadium. And I think uh, if the jets do go in 16 and get the number one pick, I think it'll be something that is talked about, for a long time to come, and, and we'll remember that that last play for the Raiders for a long time. Andy, an interesting day at MetLife Stadium and an interesting day for Sam Darnold. Certainly had his moments. Two touchdown passes to Jamison Crowder, including on the opening drive, but also he fumbled twice through an interception. That second fumble, the Jets were able to stop the Raiders from cashing in at the end of the half. They got themselves in a field goal range, but Quinnen Williams and Neville Hewitt were able to sack Derek Carr in back-to-back plays and stop the Raiders from doing further damage. But the Jets got out to an early lead. The Raiders were able to claw back, and it was 17-13 Raiders at halftime. And then 
It all kind of went crazy in the second half. The Raiders were able to add a touchdown in the third quarter. The Jets were sort of floundering. And then the fourth quarter came, and the Jets were able to get 15 unanswered points to take the lead with only a few minutes left. And this is where it got wild. The Raiders had a chance to drive and score a touchdown to potentially take the lead. They even did actually score a touchdown when Hunter Renfro caught a pass in the end zone. That got nullified by a penalty. There were offsetting penalties. They replayed the down, and Carr ended up throwing an incomplete pass. So the Jets got the ball back with about a minute 45 to go, and the Raiders only had two timeouts. They were able to stop the clock enough to get the ball back with a little over 30 seconds. I believe 35 seconds were on the clock. They were able to get the ball past midfield, but again, remember, they had to score a touchdown. They were down 28-24 after the Jets had taken the lead, and the field goal was not going to be enough. At the very end, Nelson Aguilar, who had a pretty solid day, beat two Jets defenders, and Derek Carr missed him in the end zone. So you figured at that point, this one's going to be over. But the Raiders had one play left. Greg Williams decided to send a jailhouse blitz. Derek Carr was able to, as a result, get Henry Ruggs one-on-one with Lamar Jackson. And anybody who knew about both Jackson and Ruggs before the draft knew that Ruggs was significantly faster. Just looking at the 40 times, Ruggs put a double move on Jackson, burned him, and was able to get into the end zone. Carr hit him, and with only five seconds to go, the Raiders took back the lead 31-28. Sam Darnold had one more attempt, but he wasn't able to do anything, and the Jets fell 31-28. There are so many things to unpack, and we're going to go bit by bit with the pluses and the minuses. But the ending here, Andy, as we alluded to before, I've never quite seen anything like this where in a play like that, you would have Greg Williams sending a jailhouse blitz. Now, I know he did something somewhat similar at the end of the half last year against the Pittsburgh Steelers, which resulted in Bless Austin surrendering a touchdown after he had been left on an island. So Greg Williams does have a tendency to do these kind of things. But on a play like this, I've never seen anybody do this. In fact, I believe ESPN went back and looked it up and under the circumstances, it being that late in the game, the opposing team needing a touchdown, generally teams will play prevent. They'll hang guys back. They're not going to leave a guy in single coverage on somebody like Ruggs, but that is what Greg Williams did, and it ended up resulting in a touchdown. So just a crazy chain of events here, and you can go back to so many different times where it looked like the Jets or the Raiders had the upper hand. We were talking before we started recording about that unbelievable sequence where the Jets were able to get a two-point conversion and come to within three points in the fourth quarter. This was after Darnold initially threw an interception on that two-point conversion attempt. It got called back on an interference penalty, and then Darnold was able to complete it to Denzel Mims. So it just went back and forth. This was another one that was way more entertaining than I think most people expected. Three of the last four Jets games have been very entertaining. The game against the Patriots, the game against the Chargers, and then this one, of course, the Dolphins game, not quite so entertaining, but just a wild one at MetLife Stadium. And once again, Andy, I have to say, I can't even imagine what the reactions would have been if 
there had been fans there. I know we can speculate, like you said before, there would have been some screaming happy Raider fans, a mixture of Jets fans who were happy and dejected. But man, it would have been something to see. And as you said, we'll see how this pans out the rest of the way. But this could be something that we look back on years from now as one of the craziest things that we've ever seen in the history of a Jets franchise that has already provided us many crazy moments. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the Jets lose games a lot of ways, and that by far is the craziest. And I think it's just, I don't even have the words for how insane that sequence was. And, and like you said, why they were in that coverage at that stage in the game I guess that's what I'll get into here because it just doesn't make sense. It's not good football. It doesn't, it wouldn't make sense under normal circumstances if you have a really good defense. And with the Jets having two rookie cornerbacks, a fifth round pick in Bryce Hall and, and Jackson, an undrafted free agent who obviously has a speed disadvantage, just to give them no safety help over the top whatsoever, no safety net, nothing. It's, don't get beat, and if you do, it's it's over. And you know, it, it's one of those situations where Jackson knows there's no help, and so even if Rugs are going to go across the middle of the field, he's got to stick with him. And I think that's why that double move, it was a good, really good double move, but also it was even more effective because there's no margin for error. Jackson knows it. He said so after the game, and he bit on it. It just does not make any sense why they're in that coverage there. I'm sure the the reason for doing it was that Carr doesn't handle pressure well, and Greg Williams thought if he sends eight rushers, one of them is going to get home. Well, guess what? Not one of them did. No pressure on him. He's able to step in th- up in the pocket, and and Jackson had no chance of catching rugs after the double move, and and it was curtains. I mean, before the, and and the craziest thing about it is the the blitz wasn't even disguised. I mean, it was cover zero. It, before the play, Carr knew it was coming. He was able to check into something, give himself a max protect situation, and he had the time to get the ball off. None, nothing about it makes sense, and it's not something that happens, like you said. It was the first time all year, according to NFL Next Gen Stats, that any team in any situation rushed eight men or more with 30 seconds left in the game. And for the Jets, when the only thing that could kill them was a touchdown, it makes even less sense. And like I said, with the with the rookie cornerback. So a lot of criticism kind of around the league. And, and, you know, there's even been some talk I've seen on social media that it was, you know, came from the top and it was conspiracy and the Jets were, <laughs> were trying to lose this game. I can tell you, I, I really don't believe that's the case. I think... If you look at Greg Williams, he's done things like this before, maybe not this exact thing, but like you said last year against the Steelers at the end of the first half, he did it when he was in Denver in a game. The situation was different. Um, I'm sorry, when he was with the Browns and they were in Denver, the situation was different. I I think the team maybe could have, the Broncos maybe could have tied the game with a field goal or something. It ended up working out, but this is Greg Williams is aggressive. He likes to do stuff like that. He's arrogant. He, he thinks he'll end up looking like a genius if it works out. And he probably would have gotten some praise for it if the blitz gets home, but it's also an insane risk to take. It fits in with the way he does things. So I just think that's what it was. And it was 
a deeply flawed decision. And I think it's going to have like an effect on the team going forward because guys were not happy with it after the game. You could see that on the field and you heard it in some of the post game stuff that was said. So it was a very interesting thing, a very interesting game. And, and that play, I mean, you could almost write a book on it because it was just incredible what happened and, and that it was allowed to happen and that everyone, including us in the press box before the ball was snapped, was like, what the hell is happening? And, and you knew it was trouble and, and it was, and it was incredible. As far as the conspiracy aspect of this, it makes no sense because why wouldn't they have tanked earlier on the drive that the Raiders had? Because at that point, they wouldn't have known that the Raiders would even get the ball back to even attempt that play to Ruggs. So you got to play this one through in your head. Plus, on top of that, if you're Greg Williams, what exactly is the benefit of this? If it doesn't work, you look like a complete idiot. He did it thinking it was going to work. So there's no way that this was any kind of conspiracy. It was just something that Greg Williams likes to do. He gets aggressive in these situations, and it didn't work out for him. But this wasn't something that was a grand conspiracy. Moving on from that, let's talk about what the Jets did otherwise in this game. Some of the people that really shined and some of the people that didn't shine quite so brightly. Sam Darnold had his moments here. That first drive, he was pretty good, but three turnovers. Once again, very sloppy with the football. Two fumbles and an interception. Finished the day 14 of 23 for 186 yards. Same story as has been the case with a lot of Sam Darnold games. You see the talent. You see the flashes. But at the end, you realize that he didn't put together a consistent enough performance to get the job done. Rushing the ball, Ty Johnson and Josh Adams, who had barely touched the ball at all this season, were both fantastic. Josh Adams, eight carries for 74 yards, 9.2 yards per carry. Ty Johnson giving the Jets their first 100-yard rusher since November of 2018. That's crazy. He had 22 carries for 104 yards and a touchdown. This is because Frank Gore got hurt early on on his first carry. He came out, and so Johnson and Adams showed you something. And I'll say this, Andy, if nothing else, one thing that we did see that is a very positive sign is that these two guys are both young. They look productive. They seem to gel behind that offensive line, particularly Makai Becton. And so maybe the Jets don't need to draft another running back in the mid-rounds like they did last year. There was a lot of talk of that. Perhaps Johnson and Adams are going to be a part of the equation going forward. Jamison Crowder had two touchdowns today. It was weird. Denzel Mims didn't get targeted much, only a handful of times. He did have two catches for 40 yards and as I said before he was able to convert on that two-point conversion and then when you take a look at the defensive side of the ball man Quentin Williams just continues to wreak havoc he had an incredible sack at the end of the half like I said to stop the Raiders from being able to add to their point total and he beat three guys on a triple team to get that sack also had a really nice run stuff so he continues his evolution into one of the best defensive players in football Marcus May who we're going to talk about later because he had a lot to say had a nice game today as he continues his journey towards either earning a big contract to stay here 
or to go somewhere else. And another guy who had a really nice play was Arthur Millette. Didn't do much besides an interception, but hey, anytime you get an interception, that's a good day for you. It came off of a deflection on a Derek Carr pass. Now let's talk a little bit about the Raiders, Andy, because Darren Waller just destroyed the Jets today. Absolutely destroyed them. In fact, at one point, Michael Nania tweeted out that Darren Waller had only a few yards less today at 200 on 13 catches. And by the way, he had two touchdowns too. Then Jets tight ends have had receiving the entire season. There was no Jacobs today running the ball. Instead, it was Devontae Booker, who didn't do all that well. He had a moment or two, but for the most part, the Jets were able to stop the Raiders from running the ball. Derek Carr had that one pass that got batted up. And of course, we know that Henry Ruggs fumbled the ball. It was one of those tricky plays where at first you weren't sure if it was a completion, but it was. And this was toward the end of the game where the Jets were able to cash in. He was able to make good later on by catching the game-winning touchdown, but that fumble looked like it was going to cost the Raiders big time. Carr did finish, by the way, with big passing numbers, 28 of 47, 381 yards, and three touchdowns. And beyond that, if you take a look at what the Raiders were able to do defensively, a big part of this was forcing the turnovers. Trayvon Mullen with the interception that I talked about before from Sam Darnold, and then Cleland Farrell, Two sacks, Darnold getting stripped on both of them, so he had a major impact in this one. And ultimately, that's really what told the tale here. If the Jets hadn't turned the ball over, and if they hadn't let that play happen at the very end of the game, they certainly would have won this one. They would have won it even with the turnovers if that play doesn't happen at the end of the game. But the turnovers are what allowed the Raiders to be in position to win at the end there so that's really what you were looking at here with the Jets and the Raiders one other quick note Sergio Castillo missed an extra point after missing a 29 yard field goal attempt last week maybe we can pump the brakes on thinking that he's somebody that'll be here for the long haul because he's starting to falter and I think the Jets may look in another direction in the offseason but that's more or less what we were looking at in this game as I said Andy very competitive back and forth a lot of crazy moments but in the end, it was that one play that sealed the deal. However, there were plenty of other big plays that occurred here for both teams. Yeah, I think when it comes down to it, you go back to Sam Darnold, and it's the same stuff we've been seeing all along. He had a very strong start to the game, and give him credit, he seemed to get banged up there late, and still after that happened, leads the Jets into it, a 96-yard touchdown drive that started late in the third quarter and ended in the fourth quarter with a touchdown but it's the problems in between the same stuff we've kind of seen from Sam Donald all along uh, on one stretch there they had three three drives that ended consecutively with turnovers it was the interception and then the two strip sacks and that's just the kind of stuff that you can't live with you can't have Donald was not feeling the pressure at all and he's got to be better than that at this stage of his career. And in the end, the Raiders scored 17 unanswered during that stretch before the Jets rallied back with those 15 straight, uh, setting up the crazy ending. So if Sam Donald is better and has a better feel for the game and not making the mistakes that we've seen him made, the Jets probably do win this one easily. It doesn't come down to that play. Even with that, they almost got the job done but it wasn't enough, and, and that's why I don't think there's really any question about what Sam Darnold is with this, this team and what his future is. 
even for the people who have been, been defending him. And I know he has not had, he's not been given a great situation by the Jets here who have failed him in every way possible. But at some point it's on him and he's just not stopping with the mistakes that, that are killing them. And, and that's going to be why he's not here anymore going forward. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of other things happen. A lot of stuff, I think with the running backs, it was interesting. Uh, they certainly gave the Jets a big play potential in the run game that they hadn't had before. You could see some of why the Jets were using Frank Gore as much as they were just because they were not as good in blitz pickup without Gore in the game, not even close. But it still is inexcusable for why these guys basically had not been getting touches at all all season when you see the kind of explosive potential that they had. Uh, so I, I think we should see a lot more of them in the final four games and to be able to see what that added to the offense and, and what that added to the stability of the offense and being able to control the clock and have that kind of a drive, have that kind of a 96 yard drive that we, we haven't seen from them all season long. It was because they were able to establish the run and that's, important moving forward and i think you're right those two guys could have a future here play like a jet play like a jet the running game largely carried the jets offense with about 200 yards it doesn't speak well of adam gase as a coach that he had these guys all along and barely ever used either one of them until he was forced to because gore came out of the game and speaking of gore we talked about his injury Unfortunately, an injury like Frank Gore's is a part of football. Thankfully, he didn't get hurt due to somebody else's negligence because when you get hurt due to somebody else's negligence, it could be a life-changing event. And when that happens, you want a strong legal team fighting for you to make sure that you receive full compensation for your injuries. You want to be able to call your legal team whenever you want. You don't want your file to be on a shelf with hundreds of others, and you don't want your lawyers to be afraid to go to court. Here's what you do want. The legal team at Faruqi and Faruqi, they give every client their personal cell phone number to call 24-7. They limit the number of clients they represent at one time so that they can give you enough personal attention. And they have a long track record of taking on insurance companies, corporations, and the government in court. But the best part and most important part is they have a long track record of winning. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. You can learn more about them by going to nylegalteam.com. That's nylegalteam.com. And Andy, on the subject of injuries, we know that Gore left the game. Want to get an update there. And is there anybody else that we need to know about in terms of injuries? So Gore is in the concussion protocol. We'll see how that plays out. Greg Van Roten, who was the only offensive lineman who had started, I'm sorry, who had played every snap this season, left early on with a foot injury and didn't return. So that's something else to watch. Ashton Davis suffered a foot injury, I believe, in the second half and did not return. And Bennett Jackson also suffered a hamstring injury at some point pretty late in the game and did not come back. There's some other stuff we saw. Becton got hurt on that two-point conversion. The first one that was an interception, he got clocked pretty good after the play. He wasn't really even involved in it, but one of the Raiders players took the opportunity to lay a big block on him. He went out of the game, went to the medical tent, but ended up, I believe, just missing 
the second two-point conversion where the Jets pulled within three, and that was it. Um, and I believe in, in terms of stuff that we saw of note, that was it. Jordan Jenkins got banged up at the end of the first half but came back and finished the game. He continues to be ridiculously tough, and those are the only ones I can think of. Andy, take us inside the locker room because a lot was said, especially from Marcus May, who seemed particularly exasperated. I'm going to let you expound upon that. A couple of other guys talked as well, including Adam Gase and Sam Darnold, as usual. Who said what? So, yeah, we'll start with the the final play. And really, that's what everything was talked about after the game. Um, Adam Gase was asked basically what the hell happened. And he didn't have a good answer. Um, well, first of all, Gates opened up his starting his, his press conference by saying that, you know, he felt bad for his players and that they worked too hard to uh, have to go through this bleep. And that was before anybody even asked a question. And then it went right on to the Greg Williams. How could they be in that kind of a defense? And then Gates was basically like, I talked to him about it. We we're trying to get pressure on the quarterback. And then he was asked again, he's like, I talked to him about it. We were trying to get pressure on the quarterback. That's what we were trying to do. You could tell that he wasn't super thrilled about it and didn't have a good explanation for it because he would not go into detail about why they were in that defensive coverage given the situation. And then we go to Marcus May, who was asked about the coverage and basically right away said that we needed to be, quote, in a better coverage and then repeated some variation of that by my count, at least six times, and I think it was probably more. Um, he was not happy with it. He basically said that with young cornerbacks out there, you don't want to put them on an island, and that's exactly what the Jets did. They, they put two young guys on an island, put them in a terrible situation, and, and, and they paid for it. And he was asked, you know, are you kind of being critical here? He says, I'm not being critical. I just, you know, this is how I think the play call should have been. He he said that uh, he understands that the defense is, you know, aggressive and that Greg Williams has a history of aggressive play calling, but at the same time, and they have to execute the play call, but, but at the same time, you got to help us out here. So it was pretty much open criticism and he said he wasn't sure how everybody else felt in the locker room, but he's just trying to keep the team together, and this is how he feels, so that's what he said. So you can guess that other guys weren't thrilled with that, but Marcus May ended up being the only one who openly spoke out and was openly critical of it. And then Lamar Jackson, I have to say, it would have been very easy for him to just avoid the interview room because we're not down there it's as simple as telling a PR staff member that I don't want to do this, but not only did he go into the interview room, but he answered the questions and was candid and basically explained the whole situation. He said that he understood what the coverage was. He's a rookie. It's not for him to question it. He had no issues with it. He knew he had to execute. He knew it was a tough spot. He knew that only a touchdown could hurt them. So his whole thought was backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. And when Ruggs made the double move. He said he got a step on me and that was that. And I mean, he knew the deal too. He knew that once Ruggs got a step on him, he wasn't going to be able to catch him. And he was, he said, you know, his whole thought was like, don't let it be me. Don't let it be me. But it was me and I'll learn from it and I'll get better. 
And that to me was a very impressive attitude uh, because he could be bitter about being put in that situation. He could be devastated because he understood what it means to the Jets who wanted to win so badly and couldn't get it done. But he said over and over again that he was going to learn from it. He was going to make sure that that didn't happen again. And, you know, he knew that even if Ruggs was going to go across the middle of the field, he had to cover him because it was zero cover. And if he caught the ball in that kind of situation with some momentum, he could still get to the end zone that way. So it was a, a tough spot for him to be in. But he handled it well, and, and in the end, he said, this isn't going to define me. This isn't what I'm going to be remembered for. I'm, I'm going to get better from it. So we'll see what happens with that. But I thought that was pretty impressive and pretty admirable. And, and then Sam Darnold spoke a little bit about how frustrating it is, and he said we should have won that game. Then he was asked directly if it angers him because they're basically, if they're in a better defense there, they probably would have won the game. And he, he just basically said, like, it's, we just got to get better. He dodged the question, and, and that was that. So that's basically, I think, the big takeaways from what we saw after the game. Uh, this is one of those situations where it sucks that we, as reporters, weren't in the locker room because I think you would have heard more open criticism of, of Greg Williams, and you would have seen what I kind of saw after the game, which is a lot of players were very upset, frustrated, when they got that defensive stop and when they knew that there was a very good chance they were going to win the game, these guys were celebrating like they had won a playoff game. They, they were, it was more than that. They were, they were jumping. There were guys jumping into each other's arms. They were hugging each other. They really thought they had won this game. And then they go three and out. They got lucky that the clock kept running when I can't remember who it was, but somebody got tackled as he went out of bounds. And then, and then we saw what happened at the end, and, and there was just guys walking around looking like they were lost. I think some were probably close to tears. I saw one player, Denzel Mims, slam his helmet with both hands to the ground, spiked it. I mean, these guys were upset, and I know Jets fans are happy, a lot of them, about this result, but the players, it sucks for them. It's it's not a fun thing to go through to, to keep losing and be a punchline in the country and, and in, in the football world. And, and they know that if they go in 16, that'll kind of linger for a long time. So I, I feel for the players, but in the end, you know, you don't want to feel like that. You got to find a way to win the game. And while it did come down to that last play, the jets had other chances. They could have got a first down there to win it and not let the ball get back in the Raiders hands. And, and they could have had a much better stretch there without, turning the ball over and, and going basically at the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half, they went turnover, 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 three and out, three and out. So you want to look at other places where the games could have, the game could have been won. You can look at that stuff, but a very frustrated locker room. And you got to wonder how mentally this will affect them going forward with these four tough games coming up. Andy Vasquez covering the Jets for NorthJersey.com. Thanks so much for coming on and discussing the Jets and the Raiders, this wild game with me. Really appreciate it. We'll do it again next week. In the meantime, though, if you want to check out all of Andy's work, it's just 99 cents to access everything 
on NorthJersey.com. You can get a good portion of Andy's work for free, but you want to pay that 99 cents so that you don't have to worry about using up your allotment of articles. It's only 99 cents to get everything that Andy's written and everything that everybody else has written at NorthJersey.com. Great deal. Go and support local journalism. Andy, when they go there, what are they going to read over the next couple of days? Well, I'm going to definitely delve into what this all means for the Jets draft situation and their odds of getting the number one pick obviously are still high, but the margin for error is, is low. So this was a big moment and it will have a big impact. And I'll delve into some of the other things that we saw today that, that bode well for the Jets future. And, and that's what we'll be focused on moving forward is how are the Jets going to rebuild this thing? We're going to start looking at what the draft is going to look like. We're going to start looking at players that they should be targeting in free agency. And we're going to start looking at uh, which players the Jets should decide to bring back and, and who they should move on from. So a lot of stuff geared toward the future because that's what matters right now. And obviously looking at these final four games just because it does matter because if the Jets do find a way to get a win, it could change how things work in the draft. And, and that is obviously something that everybody's interested in and something that is important to the future of the franchise. Go ahead and follow Andy on Twitter at Andy underscore Vasquez and read his work over at NorthJersey.com. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.